The amazing thing about saying stuff is that words don't have to be true. I can tell you anything. I'm actually the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson. You don't know if that's a lie. MMA fighters, they love saying things of questionable validity just like the rest of us, ranging from the mundane to the absolutely absurd, the latter of which is the focus of our list today. Whether it's tall tales of street fights nobody saw, absolutely ridiculous explanations for wrongdoing, or boasts that are borderline inconceivable, the truth of these entries isn't out there. So if you want to believe, you're gonna just have to take their word for it. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, and let's keep this train rolling because Crypto.com has your back. That's right, the world's fastest growing crypto app and official sponsor of MMA On Point is here to help you start your journey into crypto. Join us using the link crypto.com slash app slash MMA On Point for a $25 crow deposit upon sign up and after reserving a metal visa card, start trading and withdraw. More on that later, but for now, here are 10 insane unverified claims by fighters. Number 10, Brandon Davis's insane workouts. After going 1-3 in his last four in the promotion, Brandon Davis was on the chopping block and needed to make a change. A bump down to bantamweight from 145 appeared to be the solution. In order to make the weight and get in shape for his divisional debut at UFC 236 against Randy Costa, Davis claimed he ran 20 miles every day and gave up drinking. Now, 20 miles a day is a pretty spectacular feat, but while that claim raised a few eyebrows, what he said in the lead-up to his next bout at UFC 241 had some people saying, oh, come on, dude. Sticking with the winning formula, Brandon cut out drinking again and would run his customary 20 miles, which according to him took about two and a half hours. That's a seven and a half minute pace, mind you. And in addition, he would have four and a half hours every day of fight training. So seven hours a day of work every single day, and he claimed he never took a day off in his entire camp. Forget the fact that elite marathon runners only train about 60 miles or so a week, not 140 at a seven and a half minute clip. But then we're also to believe that in addition to that, Brandon Davis trains four and a half more hours doing grueling MMA work, and he never takes a day off. This happens 100% of the time, every day, no rest, and he's not dead. There are two potential conclusions here. Either Davis is the fittest man on the entire planet, or he might be slightly embellishing his work rate. Number 9. Ken Shamrock at UFC 1 If there's any business more carny than MMA, it's pro wrestling. And as the two have had a blended history, it's sometimes hard to tell who's telling the truth about what, especially those who have dabbled in both arenas. Ken Shamrock is a fantastic example, and someone who's made some pretty interesting claims about the massively important UFC 1, of which of course the world's most dangerous man was a participant. But according to Ken, he didn't realize it was real until after the first bout had ended. In fact, he claimed that he signed up for the show just to prove one of his students, who had brought the tournament to his attention, that they were wrong, that it couldn't possibly be real fights, that they wouldn't allow that on TV. And so he signed up for this event, never once apparently inquiring about what would actually happen, assuming the promoter would let him know right before the bout who was supposed to be the winner. Then Gerard Gordeaux kicked Taylor Tooley in the face, and that's when Shamrock realized he had actually signed up for a no-holds-barred shoot tournament. It's a spectacular story, but one that isn't entirely verifiable or necessarily believable. Then again, it was 1993, so who knows? What's a webpage? Something ducks walk on? It should be noted, though, that Ken has also claimed in a 30 for 30 podcast about the event that the promoters stopped him from winning the whole tournament because they wouldn't allow him to wear wrestling shoes for his bouts, as they knew Hoist would have a disadvantage, so they banned them. They took away my shoes because they knew that if they could take away my balance, that Hoist would have a better chance of beating me. Just my opinion, they cheated. Not quite sure the shoes would have made the difference, but Ken certainly has some fun stories. Number 8. JBJ Gets Hacked 
John Jones is the king of regrettable social media posts and excuses. The man has probably deleted half of his tweets since becoming UFC champion. Of his own accord, mind you, or maybe his managers. And has come up with some wild theories about his own transgressions over the years. Like tainted gas station boner pills causing a PED failure. Or implying that someone spiked his food or drink with PEDs, resulting in a test failure. But in 2014, after a series of homophobic comments were left by Jones on an Alexander Gustafson fan's Instagram posts, the champ really came up with a doozy of an explanation. Once screenshots of the offensive comments were spread throughout social media, Jones and his team explained that it wasn't JBJ who left those comments. His phone was hacked, or rather, it was stolen. But he got a new one and changed all his passwords, so crisis averted. Now, mind you, during the period in which Jones claims his phone was under the control of somebody else, the only activity that was done publicly was these comments directed at this Gustafson fan, one that had negatively interacted with him on Twitter and been blocked, and a selfie that was posted to John's Instagram page. So we're to believe that someone stole your phone and then targeted a fan that you don't like, saying the types of things you would say to such a fan, and then the thief decided to post one of your selfies to IG. This person had access to all your social media, all the pictures and videos on your phone, and we didn't see a single insane tweet, some horrifying picture dug up from your camera roll, just comments left on a single fan's posts, and an innocuous selfie. In my best DC voice. Okay, John. Number seven, check the wraps. Whether it was a ploy to distract the welterweight champion before one of his biggest title defenses, or a genuine concern about fairness, whatever the hell was going on with claims about GSP's raps before and after his victory at UFC 158 against Nick Diaz, it didn't work. Leading up to the bout on fight week, the team was already stirring up the pot with claims of an unfair weight allowance for St. Pierre. But on fight night itself, they would make further accusations just a single bout before fight time. Opposing teams are allowed to send representatives to watch the hand-wrapping process, along with a commission representative to ensure that everything is on the up and up. Jake Shields was such a hand wrap watcher at UFC 158, and according to Dana White, left the locker room satisfied that GSP's wraps were, in fact, just wraps. Then during the co-main, Shields tweets, I just checked GSP's gloves and the wraps look shady. Now the commission won't let me back. Been trying to for the past 30 minutes, not saying he's cheating, but what the fuck. That's weird, it kind of sounds like that's exactly what you're implying. Jake would even head to the cage and go directly to Dana White, a UFC rep as well as a commissioner apparently double-checked to make sure everything was good and told the DS camp to calm the fuck down because the wraps were just fine. The wraps were cut off right after the fifth and put in a bag for the commission to examine, with no foul play being reported. DS himself would say post-fight he was suspicious because he was hit with something really hard and GSP has no punching power. Ultimately, nothing would come of any of this, minus some memes at the time about checking the wraps. Number 6. 400 and 0. Look, don't get me wrong here, Hickson Gracie is a legend, and the man absolutely deserves every bit of that status for his contributions to combat sports. He's inspired countless fighters to take up the arts, he's a certified badass. But we gotta talk about his record. Despite there only being 11 actual fights to have ever been recorded in his MMA career, and only a handful of jiu-jitsu matches, Hickson would claim a record of 400-0. Now, it's not uncommon, especially in the early days of the sport, for fighters to embellish a bit about their records. Because honestly, who's gonna refute them? Record-keeping back then was an absolute mess. But let's think about this for a moment because we know the 11 fights he had that are documented to exist. But beyond that, not a single other sanctioned bout could be confirmed in no-holds-barred or MMA events. Okay, but Tommy Hickson combined all his combat sports, so the record actually reflects MMA, BJJ, Sambo, etc. The problem with that is there's not a whole lot of documentation for anywhere near 400 matches with everything combined. And if he did include Sambo, we have proof he lost to Ron Tripp at the 1993 US Sambo Championship in Norman, Oklahoma. 
something he refutes because he said he didn't understand the rules. Hilariously, his father Elio was asked about Hickson's record and explained that his son counted practice, amateur bouts, pretty much anything as a victory, and said if he kept records like him, he would have a million wins. Nothing like your own dad just making you look silly. Again, Hickson is of course a legend, and we're in no way trying to take that away from him, but the 400-0 claim is highly sus, as in clearly not true. Number 5. Dada 5000 dies twice. This one is pretty tough to talk about because the man was clearly going through some serious things, and I have no doubt he was in dire straits after the fight, but some of the claims that Dada 5000 has made about what happened to him against Kimbo Slice at Bellator 149 are pretty spectacular, and since the only verification we have are from him and his people, not medical records, his claims deserve a spot on our list. If you recall, the bout with Slice was considered an absolute dud, as in one of the worst fights ever. The two men were completely exhausted by the third, the bout ending when 5000 essentially collapsed. According to Dada, he actually had a heart attack in that moment that you see him fall. Now, it is true that 5,000 cut an extreme amount of weight improperly in the lead-up to the fight, losing 40 pounds in a relatively short time, and he did have kidney failure post-fight and suffered from what is commonly known as rhabdo, a very serious condition. It's the heart attack claims that are unverified. I said claims plural because Dada has said he had two heart attacks after the fight and was dead for a total of 13 minutes, five minutes in one instance and eight minutes in another. Again, it's not implausible to have died from the condition that he was in after the fight. It's just that his claims of dying right there in the cage and then again shortly after have not been verified. Now, why would someone make this up? Well, the fight was considered a massive embarrassment, and if you look at the wording of Dada's initial Instagram post where he made these claims, you can tell he was offended by people saying the fight was terrible and that he had no heart. He wanted it to be known that he was in a very bad way medically, and it's actually a miracle he survived. Again, I truly have no doubt he was in serious medical trouble after the fight, it's just that his most astounding claims have gone unverified. Number 4. Your wife send me DMs. Oh, the games Conor McGregor plays. The Notorious is certainly not below a few low blows outside the cage and attempts to get under his opponent's skin, making things personal, digging up dirt, looking for anything to throw his opponent off their game. And fair play to him, as the Irish say, his psychological warfare was highly effective in his initial bout with Dustin Poirier at UFC 178 in 2014. The Diamond even admitted as much. In their second encounter, we had that weird nice guy Conor phase, but after the TKO loss, oh man, did the Notorious bring back the nasty for the trilogy about in possibly the lowest blow he's ever taken, days before the fight, McGregor posted a screenshot of a direct message request on Instagram from Poirier's wife Jolie. Connor would beat the drum about this all week too, despite Dustin seeming unfazed. McGregor would days later post a video showing his IG and that the request was in fact real. Even after the fight in the cage, Connor continued to rant about the DM, with Jolie flipping the former double champ the bird. Now, while McGregor did have proof potentially of a DM itself, one, neither of those posts would be difficult to fabricate, I could do it right now in about 10 seconds with your wife, but even if the request is real, Connor is implying some nefarious intention on Jolie's part. The message could be from a while back, maybe about the charity situation the two parties found themselves in following the second fight. It could be to tell him to go fuck himself. McGregor said he didn't accept the request or view the message out of respect, which is convenient because it leaves the mystery of its contents, but it seems highly doubtful it's anything salacious. Number 3. The Broken Skull 
This claim is so ridiculous it's been scrubbed from Fight Pass. And what's even more bizarre about it is that he didn't even need to give an excuse for his performance. I'm of course talking about Tito Ortiz's now legendary post-fight interview following his loss to Forrest Griffin at UFC 106. It was the long-awaited rematch to their UFC 59 bout that was razor thin, and this one was no different besides the outcome. While Ortiz would earn the split win in their first encounter, he would come up short in their second on two of three judges' cards. It was a close fight. It came down to a late surge by Griffin. Nothing to have to come up with the most ridiculous shit anybody's ever heard over. Hell, he even had a built-in excuse for the loss, having just returned to fighting after nearly two years away following a major back surgery. No, that wasn't good enough. Instead, Tito told Joe Rogan that he struggled in camp, unable to spar because he had a cracked skull. That's right, a skull with a crack in it. You know, the thing that holds your brain in there. A cracked skull like Cyborg after the MVP fight. Surely he didn't mean something that substantial, though. The excuse for the pretty decent and to his level performance was met with both extreme skepticism and honestly, laughter. It's one of the more hilarious things that's ever been uttered after a fight, and of course it came from Tito. His pre-fight and post-fight medicals didn't make mention of a broken head, but maybe Ortiz is like T-1000 and can just close that shit up right quick. Number 2. The Dylan Danis Bar Incident in September of 2021, video surfaced of Jiu-Jitsu ace and known Conor McGregor associate Dylan Danis getting arrested outside a bar in New Jersey. More video would reveal that Danis was subdued with a back choke by the establishment's bouncer, at one point giving a thumbs up and even tapping before an officer eventually cuffs Dylan and he's taken away, charged with disorderly conduct. The bouncer alleges that Danis became agitated after a Google search of his name wasn't sufficient ID to enter the establishment. As you can imagine, given Danis's social media presence, fans had a field day with this one. But Dylan's own account on the MMA Hour a month later was truly something. While the video shows a few other likely employees and officers on the scene, El Jefe claimed that he was surrounded by nine men, in fact, who gave him a hard time because, yes, he didn't have his wallet as they were taking pictures after a wedding and he didn't want to break the line of his pants, but he did claim to show them both his passport and vaccine ID. The nine men surrounded Danis and began to poke and prod him into a fight while he peacefully tried to de-escalate the situation before eventually the men rushed him to secure a takedown. But because they couldn't get him to the ground as hard as they tried, a third, quote, 400-pound freaking fat slob snuck up behind him and hopped on his back. At this point, apparently undercover cops, as he called them, had emerged out of nowhere to take Danis away. A harrowing tale, no doubt. Usually when there's two accounts, things might fall somewhere in the middle, but I have a sneaking suspicion this story is a bit closer to what the bouncer said. Number 1. Eddie Alvarez versus the Russian Mob when Chael Sonnen's not going undefeated and undisputed or fending off five attackers at once, he's known to tell a tale or two. And part of what makes some of these stories so amazing is you can't quite tell which part of it is truth and what's Uncle Chael just being a showman. Case in point, one of his wildest claims, the Eddie Alvarez Russian Mafia incident. The underground king was defending his Bodog fight welterweight title in St. Petersburg, Russia in April of 2007. Now, according to Chael, the money behind Bodog was a Russian mob outfit and a whole bunch of gangsters, including the American one, were on a yacht partying it up with the fighters after the event. It's here that Alvarez witnessed some guy physically assaulting one of the ring card girls and inserted himself into the situation by knocking this dude out cold. Well, as it turned out, this jackass he put to sleep was actually pretty well connected within the mob, the kind of guy you can't hit, to quote The Departed. And so a predicament presented itself. What do you do with internationally beloved fighter Eddie Alvarez after he just KO'd some made man? Well, and Chael admits this last part he didn't witness, but according to Word Around the Campfire, 
The underground king was taken to some remote location to be put underground for real, or they might have just dug the grave in his honor to scare the shit out of him. Whatever the case, he was warned not to be KOing people at parties he didn't know and was sent on his way. Eddie himself has never confirmed this story, but it's a hell of a tale, and with Sonnen, you never know which parts are quite truth or fiction. Just wanted to say a big thank you to Crypto.com, official sponsor of MMA On Point. We were incredibly stoked for the world's fastest growing crypto app to be helping us create the content we love and guide us through the expanding world of cryptocurrencies. If you'd like to join us, you can use the link crypto.com slash app slash MMA on point for a $25 crow deposit upon sign up. And after reserving a metal visa card, start trading and withdraw. This will allow you to buy and sell crypto at true cost and trade with confidence on the world's fastest and most secure crypto exchange. Huge shout out to Max Randall for editing this video together. Follow him on Twitter at Max underscore Randall. A big, big thank you to Ben Rosette who provided that sweet tune you heard in the intro. Check out his music by clicking the link in the description and go give him a follow on his Instagram and Twitter page at Ben Rosette. Thanks for watching. Please give us a like and subscribe. We've got three new videos or more for you every single week. Let us know what you thought of the video in the comments below. Follow On Point MMA on Twitter and have yourself a wonderful day.